Well, good morning again, St. Paul's. Hope everyone's doing well. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know, my name's Ryan. I'm a pastor here at St. Paul's. I've been here for about a year. If I haven't met you, uh, please say hello after service. I'll, I'll try to find you, but if I can't find you, you find me. I would love to, to meet you. Um, as Keith said, we are in the final week in our series on our values. Uh, so far, we have talked about stewardship, prayer, biblical teaching, outreach, service, and fellowship. And we're concluding with the value that I think ties them all together, which is worship. Now, to be honest, as I looked at our list of values, I always felt some concern about doing this one. Uh, because the topic of worship is just so broad. It's kind of like saying, oh yeah, today's sermon is on God. It's just not specific at all. Uh, because worship, properly understood, it's not just singing. Uh, we have uh, kind of come to associate the word worship with music. You know, we say, oh, the music's going to happen, so now we're going to do worship, and then we're going to do the sermon, and then we're going to, you know, take communion. Uh, but really, uh, all of these things that we do in church are supposed to be worship, and in fact, our whole lives are supposed to be worship. Uh, music is great. Personally, that's one of my favorite ways to worship God, uh, but it is one of, of many and uh, that's good news for those of us who can't carry a tune or can't play an instrument, right? So, um, but worship, uh, if we have to define it, I would say to worship is to ascribe worth to. So think of it as worth-ship. I don't have a lisp. I meant to say that. Worth-ship. Um, when we worship something or someone... We're expressing a conviction that that thing or that person is supremely valuable. Uh, so to say we value worship is to say that we value living lives that consistently ascribe ultimate worth to Jesus Christ. Consistently ascribe ultimate worth to Jesus, to Jesus Christ. So our lives should be a testimony to the belief that nothing is more valuable than Jesus. People should be able to look at our lives and see that nothing is more valuable than Jesus. So that means that our worship should not just be something that happens when we meet on Sunday or when we sing, uh, but it should be something that happens always. Now, in the world that we live in, talking this way about Jesus, I think, can kind of freak people out. Uh, because it sounds fanatical. <laughs> Right? Most people are okay with the idea of going to church on Sunday. Um, they're okay with you seeing Jesus as a good moral example, or maybe someone that you acknowledge at Christmas and, and Easter, or maybe at weddings and funerals. Um, but when you say that Jesus should be the most valuable thing in our lives, uh, that we should worship him wholeheartedly every day, that he should be like the sun at the center of our solar, the solar system of our lives, that all the planets of our life revolve around, for many people, that kind of thinking, that's just too much. Um, I've noticed that after working with Christian college students for several years, I've heard a lot of stories of parents expressing that kind of sentiment, that it's, it's too much. Um, kids might be interested in doing some kind of mission work or evangelism or something, and, and it, it, parents will say things like, well, you know, we're happy you have religion in your life, you know, it's good to believe in something, 
but you shouldn't take this too far. You, know, you don't want to be fanatical. But the life that Jesus calls his followers to is, at least by many people's standards, fanatical. Uh, and in case you have any doubt about that, just look at Jesus' teaching on the greatest commandment. Uh, this is Mark 12, starting in verse 28. This will be our main passage for the morning. It says, One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked them, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So you hear that greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Jesus is saying the first and most important command is that every part of our being loves God. Every part of our being ascribes supreme worth to Jesus Christ and to Jesus Christ alone. And by our, by our society's standards, that, mind, that mindset is fanatical, right? So, is it fair to say that God calls us to be fanatics? Well, personally, I don't like calling myself a fanatic uh, because the very definition of a fanatic, according to the dictionary, is someone who is filled with excessive and single-minded zeal. So you hear that word excessive there. It implies a judgment on the person who is calling themselves a fanatic. And the judgment is, this is inappropriate. <laughs> you know, you're, you're going beyond what is reasonable here to have. It's excessive. Uh, but the zeal that we are supposed to have for the Lord, the love that we're supposed to have for the Lord, really can't ever be excessive. Right? Because like Jesus says, we're supposed to love God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength. Um, the zeal that we have can't be excessive because we're supposed to give all of our zeal to the Lord. So I don't like using that word fanatic uh, because it's a judgment on the fanatic. A judgment that the fanatic has gone too far. But at the same time, it's true that in the opinion of many people, anyone following the greatest commandment is a fanatic. Right? So... I'm going to use a term to describe the life of worship this morning that's a little provocative, but hopefully it's memorable. And I'm on the fence about whether I like it or not, but at least you'll remember it. <laughs> and the word is, I, say, I think that a life of worship that, that Jesus calls us to is the one of being a wise fanatic. Um, the life of worship is a life of wise fanaticism. Okay, and just... Just so we're clear, when I use that word fanatic, I'm not talking about like tattooing Jesus across your forehead or grabbing the phone book so that you can just call strangers and tell them the four spiritual laws, right? Um, I'm talking about single-minded devotion and zeal to the greatest commandment. And that zeal should be a wise zeal, right? And those two examples I just gave, not very wise. And what I want to do this morning is I want to talk about several reasons why fanaticism for Jesus is wise. 
Um, like I said, that seems like an oxymoron for fanatic and wise to go together. But when the fanaticism is about Jesus, it is a wise fanaticism. Um, now, if you're here this morning and you don't really buy into the greatest commandment, you're not trying to live the greatest commandment, my hope is that as you hear these reasons, you'll reconsider. And if you are already trying to live uh, the greatest commandment, then I hope that this reinforces your belief that you're, you're doing the right thing. And I hope it gives you some things to communicate to anyone who might be on the fence about whether or not they want to live their lives following the greatest commandment. So, okay, first reason why fanaticism for Jesus is wise is because fanaticism for something is pretty much inevitable in your life. Uh, what, I mean, what I mean by this is that we all tend to worship something because all of us end up holding something in our lives as supremely valuable. Uh, the question isn't so much if you're going to be a fanatic, but what are you going to be fanatic about? Uh, some people are fanatics about music. Uh, some people are fanatics about sports. People are fanatics about science, their appearance, video games, sex, money, and their careers. That's a big one, right? Uh, there's so many things that people can be fanatical about and that they are fanatical about. Now, there's a quote by an author named David Foster Wallace that I think recognizes this very well. Uh, Wallace was a very interesting character. He wrote this enormous book called Infinite Jest, which is considered to be one of the great works of modern literature. Um, he was a professor at Harvard, and he was a very troubled man in a lot of ways. Uh, he actually committed suicide in 2008 at 47 years old. Uh, but he wrote these words near the end of his life. He said, here's something else that's true. In the day-to-day -day trenches of adult life, there's actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. Now, I've seen some people who are atheists respond to this quote, and they get upset, because they're like, well, I didn't say I don't worship anything. I just said I don't believe in God, and that's what atheism means. It's not to believe in God. So, okay, fair enough, right? But the point that Wallace is making is that we all give ourselves to something. We all ascribe ultimate worth to something. So that's basically a restatement of what I've already said. But he goes on to say something else that I think is very insightful. And keep in mind, Wallace, not a Christian author by any stretch, not a guy who had a reputation for being a particularly upstanding uh, moral guy or anything like that. But here's what he says. He says, and an outstanding reason for choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you'll never have enough. Never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you're always going to feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. Worship power, you will feel weak and afraid, and you will need ever more power over others to keep the fear at bay. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud always on the verge of being found out, and so on. 
So what Wallace is recognizing is not only that everybody worships something, but that pretty much anything we worship other than God is destructive in the long run. Uh, Worshiping things like money, power, beauty, they eat us alive. Why? Because even if you have those things now, you can never get quite enough of them. And if you have them now, there's always a fear that you might not have them tomorrow. There's always a threat lingering over your head that maybe they're going to be gone tomorrow. The money that you have today, you might lose it. The beauty that you have today, it's going to fade. Right? So being a fanatic about any of those things leads to a life of fear and desperation. But God will always be there. If God is what you ascribe supreme worth to, um, you have a safe place. Uh, because his love for you will endure after all your money and things and power and beauty are gone. Uh, and specifically, the hope that we have through Jesus, the hope of forgiveness from our sins and resurrection from death, that is a hope that endures whether we have money or power or beauty or stuff. So the way I would put it is it's wise to be a fanatic about Jesus because it's foolish to be a fanatic about anything else. Anything else that we worship, anything else that we ascribe supreme worth to other than God is going to hurt us in the long run. Okay, so let's move on to the second one. Second reason why fanaticism for Jesus is wise is because fanaticism for Jesus isn't violent. You know, one of the reasons that people get so uncomfortable with that word fanatic is because we associate fanaticism with violence, especially religious fanaticism. Uh, Those two words go together. They make us... Think of uh, suicide bombers or the people who flew planes into the World Trade Center on 9-11, right? Um, People like ISIS. And when we think of that sort of violent fanaticism, we can can assume that the problem is the fanaticism and specifically religious fanaticism. Um, But we have to ask ourselves, is it really the fanaticism or is it the object of the fanaticism? Um, Because like I've already said, we all end up being fanatical about something, right? And history has shown that it is not just religious fanaticism that leads to violence, but it's all kinds of other fanaticism, too. Uh, Let's say you're fanatical about nationalism. The thing that you ascribe supreme worth to is your country. Well, that can lead you to justify all kinds of terrible things. You know, think of how many horrible things in Nazi Germany were justified by a love for the fatherland. Um, If you're a a fanatic about a sports team, you know, that can lead you to riot and brawl and all kinds of stuff. Um, It's not just religious fanaticism that causes violence. Basically, if we are fanatical about anything that can be lost or attacked, or destroyed, then we have a potential to become violent. Um, But if we're fanatical about Jesus, loving him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, then we're going to be some of the least violent people in the world if we're actually doing that well. right? Because what does Jesus follow up the greatest command with? Second greatest commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. right? 
Now, are you loving your neighbor as yourself if you're terrorizing him or stealing from him or bombing him? No, I don't think so. Uh, when we're fanatical about Jesus, we are fanatical about the one who followed up the greatest commandment with love your neighbor as yourself, the one who, when he was crucified, looked on those who, was, who were crucifying him and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So fanaticism for Jesus should actually guard us against violence more than just about, more than anything else. Um, the solution to violence isn't not to be fanatical, but is to be fanatical about the right thing. Wise fanaticism. So a third reason why fanaticism for Jesus is wise is because it helps us to be fully human. It helps us to be fully human. Now you might be wondering, why did I put it that way, fully human? Well, the reason I want to emphasize this is because sometimes I think we worry that being fanatical about Jesus, uh, that worshiping him with our whole lives is going to make us inhuman. Like, it's going to make us um, inhuman in the sense that we're no longer going to be down-to-earth, relatable people. We're just going to be weird. Um, that we're, you know, everyone's just going to think of us as, as uh, religious freaks. Um, but... Jesus doesn't want us not to be human. He wants us to be fully human. Uh, and I certainly don't mean sinful, okay? But I mean fully human in the best sense of the word. Uh, he's, he wants us to be physical beings who are fully engaged with this created world that he has made. Uh, and the greatest evidence of this is Jesus himself, right? Jesus who is God in human form. You know, clearly, God must value the human experience if he chose to have a human experience. I was thinking, uh, right before the service, you know, Christians should really be the most down-to-earth people in the world because our God is a God who went from heaven down to earth, right? Who, who was, was beyond what we could understand, transcendent and above us, and yet chose to humble himself and dwell among us and be relatable in that way, you know, how much more so should those of us who are his disciples, you know, be the kind of people who are down to earth and are relatable, you know, the kind of people who don't wear masks that, you know, we should just be real, real people. Um, and so when God came to earth in the form of a human being, he, he came so that we could see that he values the human experience and to show us what real humanity looks like, what it means to be fully human and alive. And certainly, that included things like praying and preaching and studying scripture, you know, but it also included things like going for walks and fishing and eating with friends and being a carpenter. And so, fanaticism for Jesus, it doesn't mean uh, giving up things like food and friendship and fun and uh, meaningful work and healthy hobbies or anything like that. But instead, fanaticism for Jesus should lead us to fully embody a healthy human life. You know? And that means so much more than just uh, reading our Bibles or saying our prayers. And I think we can really see Jesus implying this when he tells us to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. He could have just said, love God. Uh, but he specifies loving God with all these different aspects 
of ourselves. It's like he's saying all of who you are as a human being should be engaged in worshiping God. You know, all of you, not just the, the quote, spiritual part, but every part of you. I especially appreciate that we're told to love God with our mind. Uh, because, you know, there's so many people today who seem to think that, that faith and thinking are at odds with each other. That, that these two things can't go together at all. But I think that Jesus would say to people who say that, no, I want you to use your mind. I want you to love God with your mind. I want you to, to, to not shut it down. Don't shut off your brain when you're engaging with me. You know, keep it on because that's part of being fully human. It's part of being fully who I created you to be. I gave you a mind. You should use it. For any of us who might be worried that being fanatical for Jesus means being inhuman or not being down to earth, I'd like to encourage you with something that Paul said in Thessalonians. This is an interesting passage, and we should keep in mind he was writing it specifically to the Thessalonians, but I think it has relevance for us as well. Uh, he says, Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders, and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. And what I want us to see here is that Although it is true that sometimes living the life of fanaticism for Jesus means doing something like traveling to a foreign land and learning an entire new uh, language and doing things that look kind of crazy to everybody else, sometimes it means just living a down-to-earth down to life, you know, doing your job well, being a kind person, and, you know, on, on all accounts from the outside, looking fairly normal, right? Now, I, I think with all of us who who strive to live that, that down-to-earth life, that when uh, somebody gets to know us who is not a Christian and they get beneath the surface and they see you know, what motivates, it, motivates us and drives us, they're going to see something different, right? But the point I'm trying to make is that sometimes living this wholehearted life for Jesus is going to look like a down-to-earth life, and that's okay. So the point I'm trying to make is that to be fanatical for Jesus isn't to lose our humanity, it's to gain it. Uh, Jesus said, one of my favorite verses, John 10.10, I came that they may have life and have it to the full. Uh, most things that human beings are fanatical about, they don't bring us life. Rather than making us more human, they make us less human. You know, let's say you're fanatical about your career, for example. Uh, if that's the thing that you ascribe supreme worth to, there's a good chance that your relationships are going to suffer that your family life is going to suffer? How many, how many families uh, have been offered on the altar of worship to a career, right? Now, that doesn't make us more human. It makes us less human, right? Um, if, if you ascribe ultimate worth to your career, you will probably also um, not take Sabbath rest, probably not enjoy times of relaxation, and, and that's also part of what God created us for. That's part of being fully human. From the very beginning in Genesis, there's a pattern laid down of you work for six days and then you get a day off, right? So if we're fanatical about Jesus, if we value the things that God values, we're going to value things like having balance in our lives, taking time off, and, you know, um, spending time with our families and, and caring about those relationships. So Jesus helps us to be fully human. So the final reason that I want to talk about why fanaticism for Jesus is wise 
is because it leads to joy. Because it leads to joy. The more that we love God wholeheartedly, uh, with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, the more we become fully alive and the more we experience joy. And the reason I want to finish with this point is because I think it's so important for us to realize that when God commands this wholehearted, fanatical worship, uh, that it's not a selfish command. It's not a self-centered command. You know, God doesn't say, worship me with all of your being because he's needy. he, He doesn't say, you shall have no other gods before me because he's desperate for us to build up his sensitive ego. You know, God already knows that he's good and perfect, and he's, he is happy and satisfied whether we're telling him that or not. But the reason that God tells us to worship him with our whole hearts is because he loves us, and because he knows that that's the only thing that's really going to satisfy us. It's because he cares about whether or not we experience true joy and peace. He knows that the only way that we can have true joy and peace is through devotion to him. Because that's what he made us for. You know, we think we're going to experience joy and peace by being fanatical about money or things or power or success or beauty. But none of those things are a solid source of joy and peace. But God commands us to worship him because he knows nothing else in this world is going to satisfy. That that command that he gives us uh, for us to give all of ourselves to him is not just for his sake, but it's for ours too. And Jesus expresses this truth in a fascinating paradox, so interesting to me, in uh, Matthew 16, 25. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. So what Jesus is saying is that the key to attaining life, this key to attaining joy, is to stop worrying so much about our own happiness and joy um, and start focusing on loving the Lord. You know, the... The paradox is that if we take our own heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we cling to it and say, mine, 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 like this desperate attempt to cling to it, then we end up not being happy. We end up having anxiety. We end up, we could end up even in complete despair. But if we take our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we release it, and we say, yours, 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 God, then we feel freedom, we feel peace, we feel joy. So if we cling to our lives, we lose them, but if we give them over to God, we gain them. So the wise fanatic is the person who realizes that. Now, I don't know where you're at personally when it comes to following the greatest commandment, believing the greatest commandment. I know none of us are following it perfectly, that's a guarantee, because... That is a tall order, all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength. I mean, I don't think any of us even attain that for a full hour, you know, in any given day. That's why we are always going to need grace. Um, But wherever you are on the scale, there's a little prayer exercise that I want to close with this morning. I know we don't do this sort of thing too often, but um, hopefully you don't feel too weird doing it. I'm not going to ask you to do anything too strange. Um, I invite you all to close your eyes right now. 
And what I'd like you to do is uh, take your palms and just hold them out in front of you. If you want to rest them on your, on your knees, that's fine. Um, and what I want you to do is I want you to envision uh, some of the things that take the place of the Lord in your life. Uh, things that you sometimes, if you're honest, you end up loving more than the Lord. And our loves are determined by where our time goes, where our money goes, where our thoughts go. So, you know, envision maybe two or three things that are especially important to you that sometimes take the place of the Lord. And now I want you to imagine that Jesus is standing in front of you. And he's not, he's not looking at you angrily. He's, he's looking at you. There's love in his eyes. And he holds out his hands below yours. In a moment, I'm going to ask you, if you're willing, to turn your hands over and just let those things fall into his hands. Turn your palms over. On the count of three. One, two, three. Okay, and those things that you just let go of, Jesus caught them in his hands. They didn't come crashing to the ground or anything like that. They're not broken. He has them. He's holding them. And he takes them and he he puts them aside. You're not sure where they went, but you know that, that he cares about them, and he's, he's putting them in safekeeping. And now what I want you to do is I want you to turn your palms back up. Jesus looks at you, he smiles, and he hands you a, a, a big gift present and he lays it in your hands and that gift represents joy peace and security in him that's for you and I don't know exactly what that looks like in your life but Jesus will show that to you over time Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that uh, you call us to freedom. Uh, there's a, a place in your word where it says, it is for freedom that you have set us free. It sounds redundant, Lord, but I thank you for that passage because it's, it's as if you're saying, look, I just, I really do want you to be free. And uh, Lord, we, we recognize that true freedom is only found in you. It's only found in, in giving our lives wholeheartedly over to you. Lord, we don't want to hold anything back. Lord, we want to uh, willingly offer it to you. And we recognize that in doing so, Lord, um, there is a reward that's so much greater than any of the things that we might cling to. And God, we pray that you would teach us more what it means to love you wholeheartedly. 
And we thank you, Lord, for the, the grace that sustains us as we do so. In Jesus' name, amen.